This is Carl Hughes with Town Square Media, your host for Issues and Answers. Issues and Answers is a public affairs program for Western Colorado. Residents and members of our community tell us what concerns they have, and from that feedback, we identify significant issues to include in our weekly program. Today, my guests are Jackie Berry, Director of Juvenile Diversion with the 21st Judicial District Attorney's Office, and Dan Rubenstein, the District Attorney with the 21st Judicial District. Today, we'll be discussing a joint program between the DA's office, Mesa County School District 51, and Colorado Mesa University, the Lighthouse Project. Jackie, as a director of the Juvenile Diversion Program with the 21st Judicial District Attorney's Office, I'd like for you to get into a little bit about what your primary role is as the director of Juvenile Diversion, what your department does, and then we'll move on to the Lighthouse Project. Well, thanks for having us. Um, Juvenile Diversion is a program where um, we take juvenile offenders, um, usually first or second time offenders, and we divert them from the formal court process to diversion. And diversion is flexible enough that we can um, work with families, figure out what their needs are, and then broker, if you will, services and supports to help them make positive, sustainable changes within their family system in a hopes that they don't come back down the road of juvenile justice again. Is this done in lieu of, you know, an actual sentence? You know, is this something that's done pre-sentencing or how does that work? Yep. Most of our cases come to us before they're even filed into court. Um, some of them are post-file, um, but all of them are before they're ever sentenced. So let's move on now to what we really wanted to talk about today, the Lighthouse Project. It's fairly new, but from what I can see, is already growing. Dan, could you give us a little bit of the history of the project and how it came to be? Yeah, absolutely, Carl. Thanks for having us on the show today. The diversion program that we've had in the office uh, has been around since before I started in 1996, and it's been wildly successful uh, with getting kids out of the system. What we have found consistently is if you put low-risk kids with high-risk kids, the high-risk kids don't get better. You make the low-risk kids worse. And so the uh, diversion program has been operating for many years uh, knowing that, uh, but we seem to be getting our kids a little bit too late. And uh, through the pandemic, uh, I was actually out on a hike with my wife. My wife had spent 12 years as uh, one of the uh, magist district court magistrates here in, in the 21st Judicial District here in Mesa County, uh, and she had the truancy docket. And during all those 12 years and the three years since she left the bench, she would tell me, you know, you're getting your diversion kids two years too late. If you really want to catch them before they start committing crime, you should catch them when they first start missing school. And, you know, I'd never really thought of that as my role to reach upstream like that and, and start reaching out to these kids before they committed a crime. I kind of looked at my role as the district attorney to wait until they committed a crime before reaching out to them. Uh, but I was fortunate at the time my uh, juvenile uh, chief, the chief deputy over my juvenile division uh, is and was at the time Trish Mayer, who coincidentally was also a school board member at the time. And so I contacted Trish and said, you know, do you think the district would be interested in letting us run their truancy program through our diversion program and diverting the kids not just away from juvenile criminal court, but also from truancy court? 
She said, let me check and fairly quickly got back to me that the district was very interested not just in having us run their truancy program, but also run their suspension and expulsion program along with the diversion. And so that's really uh, where it started. My next call back then was to then President Tim Foster and Vice President John Marshall and to pitch the idea to them and see if they would be interested in having their CMU students work with our kids as more positive role models. That idea was really just sort of a recognition that a lot of the kids that are in our diversion program don't look like me and they haven't had the same experiences and a lot of our staff uh, didn't necessarily have the same experiences and we wanted to find good mentors. And one of the things that CMU has always been fantastic at is getting those students that aren't necessarily college bound and showing them a path to success uh, and really turning them into a success story. So I saw that as a great opportunity for us to show these kids a path to success and maybe with some kids who are going through sexual or gender identity issues or racial issues or other things that these CMU students have overcome and have, have learned to uh, be successful with. They were both very excited. Uh, President Foster and Vice President Marshall were very excited about it. I actually approached the city of Grand Junction to talk to them about locating this project uh, in the rec center that they were discussing building over at Lincoln Park. Uh, and I still ultimately would like to be in that location, but I don't want to wait however long it's going to take to get that facility built. So I contacted CMU back and asked them if they could find a space for us on campus now uh, so that we could start the program. And sure enough, they did. They found a space for us and we launched in January. Now the name Lighthouse Project, where did Lighthouse come from? That was a brainstorm of um, a group of us, um, Trish Mayer included, where and some community members, partners that we partner with, um, to try to come up with something that um, the community would recognize as um, a place of refuge or um, safety or support. Yeah, I think it's very apropos. And it sounds like, Dan, from what you're describing, you guys have identified that truancy is one of those precursors for potential issues down the road for juveniles. Yeah, absolutely. Both the, both the truancy program and the suspension expulsion program seem to be where kids start to uh, first be having their problems, maybe problems with authority. Uh, sometimes we're finding that truancy is not a problem with the child. It's a problem with the parents. And so we want to be able to get kids into this program, assess them, figure out what are the underlying causes that are sending them down that path and do it before they really start to get into trouble. Um, you know, it, it's, it's somewhat coincidental that all of this happened during the pandemic at a time where we're also seeing a huge workforce problem. And it has crossed my mind that getting these kids on a positive path, maybe they are bound for university at, you know, CMU or elsewhere, maybe not. Maybe, you know, CMU does run the run WCCC as well. And, you know, showing these kids a, a path to success other than what they're currently looking at. And a lot of them just can't see that far down the road and, and getting them into a program that develops our workforce in a positive way, keeps them out of trouble and really identifies the underlying problem is it, it's a nice way to pull all those things together. So obviously, the major difference between the Juvenile Diversion Program, Jackie, that you are the director of, and the Lighthouse Project, as we've said, is the point of contact with kids and when it comes in. Um, what other differences are there between the Juvenile Diversion Program and Lighthouse? And really, what differences are there between the Lighthouse Project and any other similar programs in either the state or across the country? 
So the Lighthouse Project is designed to prevent kids from choosing a path where they would head into the Juvenile Justice Center. Um, they, it also helps with um, increasing school attendance and graduation rates. Um, it also helps with um, improving family systems in general. And so if you can think about creating change and supporting families through change before they're sitting in front of a judge where they're court ordered to do something, those changes are always more sustainable um, for future and the siblings that come after the kids that we're currently working with. Um, As far as I know, I don't think there's any other um, diversion program in the state that's doing or trying to do what we're doing. We are hosting a statewide juvenile diversion conference here in Mesa County at CMU. Um, They've graciously allowed us to do that. Um, And so it's going to be really important for us to um, share information and gather information from other juvenile diversion programs so that we use best practices and strength-based Um, programs to help our kids and families. Well, and I would wonder, and maybe you know this and maybe you don't, as you're talking about other programs that are active in the state, for a district attorney's office and a school district to partner over truancy and to basically become a, a cohesive unit in looking at that and identifying potential issues with kids moving forward, that's got to be a unique partnership. I'm aware of one other diversion program in the state. It's actually down in Durango, where the DA's office partnered with the school district to um, work their, those, that group of kids together. Uh, I'm not aware of anybody that's also added into it the local university at that level. And I have since had conversations with the district attorney down in, in that judicial district. And he was very interested in having the school down, in, the university down in Durango get involved with them because of the unique mentorship possibilities that it, that it has. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's something I think very few are doing the DA's office and the school district, but I'm not aware of anybody that's also added in the university. Was it just the district attorney's office and you wonderful folks, or was it, you know, a larger group of people that came up with this model that integrates the local university, the school district and the district attorney's office? Cause you know, on paper, and it sounds like in practice, this is pretty brilliant. How how was it originally devised? What we know to be true is that there is an organization in every community that sees kids 40 to 50 hours a week, right? And that's our schools. And so what better way to tap into what kids are struggling with or when they're struggling as to partner with a school district. The school district itself has a number of resources that they can um, refer kids to, but pooling our resources and our data to identify kids that are at the highest risk, you're always going to get a better outcome. Extrapolating this way down the line with Correct intervention where we're hopefully preventing these court-related occurrences from happening. The costs involved in that court-related experience, both from the loss from whatever the potential crimes might be or, or, you know, anything along those lines, this feels like not only is it great and just an amazing thing to do for the kids, but the prevention part of that has a a true economic impact. Yeah, Carl, one of the things that we've seen through the juvenile justice system over the years is it's gotten slower and, uh, you know, is originally designed. It's a civil process. It's not criminal. It's actually civil in nature. 
uh, and it was designed to be a very quick response so that kids would be able to learn from their actions. Anybody who has kids knows you can't tell a kid, hey, you did something wrong nine months ago, now here's your punishment, and have them uh, learn from that. It just doesn't work. And so as we've seen the court system and the juvenile justice system get more and more complex over the years, we've realized that the response that we have through the court system is inadequate. Beyond that, there's been a lot of legal changes uh, to allow kids to expunge their juvenile cases, which is fine. That's you know ultimately a good thing for them not to have these things follow them around for the rest of their lives. But if the only reason we were holding out to go through the court system was to have something on the record and they can expunge it anyway, there's really no benefit out of going through the court system when we have this great program that can be immediately responsive, uh, assess them. And we've tried to adopt a model where we don't care how the kid got to the program. We don't care if they're there because they committed a crime and we're diverting them from court or they skipped school and we're diverting them through court or they – got in trouble and got suspended or expelled. We even have uh, voluntary walk-ins. And, and one partner I want to include in this is Partners of Mesa County. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are instrumental in this and in helping us assess these kids. Uh, and we want to make sure that it doesn't matter how you got there. We're going to assess you and figure out what services you need, what interventions you need, so that you don't end up going down the wrong path and committing crimes. And this may be a question that's way off of the mark because it, it – it really may not apply here. With the number of charter schools we have in the area that also function some under the school district's overview, uh, are the charter schools also included in this, or is it just purely D51? I have not reached out to any of the charter schools at this point. Um, just working with um, Kathy Ebel at the school district to figure out how do we build teams um, with the truancy officers and attendance advocates and our juvenile diversion coordinators to come together to share that information um, and what information can we have um, legally that we'll be able to identify those kids and families. And then lastly, how do we engage those families for them to understand we're here to help you, support you, we're here to stand beside you um, as you make these changes so that you don't see um, your kid in court or worse yet, visiting them at Grand Mesa at some point later down the road. Which by that point, you feel like you've kind of turned a corner in the wrong direction that's Mm -hmm. hard to turn back from. Well, for those who might be just joining us, my name is Carl Hughes. You're listening to Issues and Answers with Town Square Media. Today, my guests are Dan Rubenstein, the district attorney with the 21st Judicial District, and Jackie Berry, director of juvenile diversion with the 21st Judicial District. We're talking about an amazing program that just started in January, but has already apparently seen great results and has great potential, the Lighthouse Project. Now, if we could go back a little bit to the CMU involvement, I think it's always amazing when we, you know, people who question, you know, is there some benefit to the community by having a university here? I know when they tried to rename North Avenue, it was like everybody drew up swords (laughs) and went after each other. But to have ways like this, that it's not just a positive economic impact because we've got a university here, we're actually utilizing their resources to help benefit kids in this situation. Now, tell me a little bit more. You know, we talked about internships or other ways. Are, are the CMU students involved? Are they getting school credit for this? Is it just a resume builder? How does that work for them? All of the above. And right now, CMU has made it possible for them to have paid internships, which is amazing. 
So the internship program, um, we're mainly focusing on the social and behavioral sciences departments. And right now we have one social work intern. Um, We have two criminal justice that are ready to start for the summer. And we have four um, psych, counseling psych, and social work um, interns ready for the fall. Um, And I have usually three to four emails a day of kids that are, um, or students, I should say, that are interested um, in working with our young people. So it is it is heartwarming to know that that even as as young people, they see the value in what they have to offer, and that's super exciting. Well, and as all of us went through college, in my case, many, many, many years ago. Don't date yourself. Oh, my. You could cut my legs and count the rings. (laughs) I'm elderly. But as we're going through college, so much of it is truly learning, and it's academic. The real-world functions of what we learn in college, it feels like you're able to integrate this for some of those students, and that's got to be just a huge benefit for them. Agreed. It is. There's a few components to that. When I first pitched this to uh, President Marshall and Vice, excuse me, then President Foster and Vice President Marshall, now President Marshall, uh, one of the things that President Marshall said to me um, that I'll never forget is, you know, I got a classroom full of students in the African American Student Alliance sitting in a classroom, wringing their hands and complaining about the world. And next door is the Latino Student Alliance and a bunch of kids sitting in there uh, complaining about the same thing. I'd love to have a program like this and say, look, there's a kid down the hall or across the street that needs your help. Go help them. And those college students will get so much more out of that experience. And now Jackie's been able to work with CMU to not just pick people who might have similar backgrounds or similar experiences to the kids in our program, but also pick ones that are in a specific major where they want to go into helping these people as a career and they can start at the college level, get paid while they're doing it and have a much better university experience. And I realize there's not a standard profile for a kid who might be experiencing truancy or heading down a difficult path that might lead to criminal activities at some point. But I've got to believe that working with a college student who feels similar to what that kid may be going through or has had similar life experience like Dan, you just referenced, these kids may not have somebody that's such a positive role model in their lives. And so it seems like you're adding in that extra layer of just having somebody that they could model behaviors and, you know, career goals and belief in themselves and all those things to move forward. Or, or, and I'll give you an example of some of the CMU students that have um, expressed an interest. We did um, kind of an informational meeting for our, um, all of the CMU students in those social behavioral sciences departments. And we had about 25 or 30, 30 students show up. One kid came up to me afterwards and said, have you ever thought about mindfulness and meditation? And I thought that is so unique, right? Because a lot of the kids um, that we work with struggle with that emotional regulation and being able to be centered. They survive all the time. And so I said, how unique and how great would that be that we could offer that as a resource for some of our kids? And so I said, I would just need to get you know somebody certified so we could start that into our program. He came to me two days later and said, I'm in a program to be certified, and this is what I want to do. I want to give back to the kids that – and he has, a, he has a past, right, and he has some trauma. And so how cool is that, that he would want to spend his time 
you know, doing that, which is where the work study piece comes in, right? So not an intern, but a work study where you would be working with our kids um, in a group setting and not necessarily under the supervision of a, of a coordinator or a truancy officer, but they could do, you know, things like work on resumes or mindfulness or shoot hoops um, as a group, you know, so. Well, in something like mindfulness, this population of kids that are struggling and that are at risk for, for these issues down the road have nothing in their lives probably that would even resemble mindfulness or self-awareness or meditation or self-care. Mm -hmm. And so that just is amazing because it adds just another layer to this process. And to get that mentorship from somebody who's much closer to you in age, much closer to you in background and, you know, where they came up, it's much higher chance that our diversion students are going to relate to them and gain something more from that mentorship. Local youth who has been brought into the Lighthouse Project, they're working with your office at the DA's office, they're working with the mentors and the CMU students. What does their part of the program look like? I mean, are they just learning to set new paths and to set new goals for themselves? Or what is it that you're specifically doing? And what is that youth that's in the system doing? Um, you mean our diversion youth and how they're working with CMU students? No, when, when a youth is in the Lighthouse Project... You know, they've been referred through the truancy system mm -hmm. and whatever else. Okay. What is it that they're now doing in the Lighthouse mm -hmm. Project? What is their, you know, is it once a day, once a week? What are the, you know, who are they meeting with and what is the goal of it? So that is a great question. Um, and that's the beauty about, um, about this um, piece is that, one, it's flexible enough to really hone in to what that family needs, right? We can all check boxes and say, you're going to go to school, you're going to do UPS hours, you're going to owe me this much money in fees. Um, but it's something else to find out what that person's goal or that family's goal is and help them reach that goal. I can have goals for kids and families all day long. That doesn't necessarily bring about sustainable change. So it's flexible and it's fluid and we need to meet those families where they are. The cool part about our relationship with the school district and with CMU is that now we're located on CMU campus and we're housed with the um, high school expulsion and our truancy officers. So um, now that we're all under the same building, um, that information sharing and figuring out how to work together and use the same resources is key. Well, it provides a really consistent and cohesive process for that kid. You talked about the families. How has it been when a kid is referred into the Lighthouse Project? Obviously, the, the youth needs to be aware of it, what's about to happen and what is going to be involved in this. What's your response been with the, the parents or the families or the guardians of these kids and their response to the suggestion of being a part of this project? So interestingly enough, and I would not have guessed this moving into it, but the parents are more receptive than the kids are. Um, so the parents are very excited about, um, about learning new things and helping their kid to be on a different path, but kids not so much, although um, we really do try to find ways to engage them in the goals that they feel like they want to meet. And so this work-study piece um, with CMU is going to be vital to helping those kids see that I don't have to just live for today. There's more than video games. I can live and I can do well, whether it's through CMU and um, or WCCC or vocational, whatever that looks like. And that there's the potential for a pretty good life past the age of 18 
if I take a little time to start thinking and planning about that. And it may be generational. Again, I don't know that much about the juvenile justice system or, or the kids that end up in that. But I know that it feels like it's a lot of a generational repeating where it might have been parents that had struggled and had trouble when they were kids. And, you know, it's hard to mentor and help a new family go. Does this also, the kids that you're working with, does it reach across a lot of socioeconomic boundaries? It's not just the low-income, free-lunch kids. I would assume there's kids of all walks of life that are in this. Agreed. And you and, and for me, it's never about how much money you make or where you live, right? These kids are struggling. Our kids are struggling. And I think we saw an increase in that when we isolated them, um, you know, during the pandemic, as, as many adults struggled with being isolated. And so how do we reach them where they are? You know, whether they they live in Clifton or Fruta or anywhere in between Mac, we need to really listen to what their needs are, listen to where they want to go and help them see they can have a future um, and collaborate. And that's one thing Mesa County does really well is that our nonprofit organizations um, collaborate really well with us to try to figure out how do we help families. Well, and I would think as this program go grows in that community of truant youths or the youths that are struggling with the issues that would bring them into the program, at some point, there's going to be some word of mouth about kids that have gone through the program. I would <laughs> hope so. And I think that, the, you know, peer-to-peer positive relating of what the program is and how it actually had an impact on them. As it grows, I would hope that that's going to be a component to help. So how cool would that be to take it a next step, right, and have our own peer group mentoring from kids that have graduated, for lack of a better term, Um from a program like this that they can give back to kids. As the wise man once said, the potential for growth is enormous. It is. Well, if people want to find out more about the Lighthouse Project and everything that you and your partners are doing, what's the best way for people to reach out? I know it's new, so there's probably not a full website or anything about it yet. Not yet. Working on it. So is it best just to reach out to the district attorney's office or email the district attorney's office? If somebody really was interested in this program, how would they reach you? You can find uh, my contact information on the um, 21st Judicial District website. Um, so you can find it there. Which is Mesa, it's on MesaCounty.us. Mesa yeah, as a one-county judicial district, we do a lot of stuff with Mesa County. And so if you just go to MesaCounty.us and look under the departments, you can find the district attorney page. And you can get mm-hmm. Jackie's contact information or just call the main number and we will get people in touch with her. Mm-hmm. You can email me. You can come by and see me. There you go. (laughs) If you see me in public, you can say, hey, I'm good with that. The fact that both the 21st Judicial District Attorney's Office, CMU, the school district, you're really trailblazing here in an area that nobody else has done. And as a county resident, you know, it's wonderful to see that kind of work being done to help the youth in our community and ultimately help our community by diverting potential issues with the juvenile justice system from ever happening. So kudos to everybody who's involved for doing this. You know, all programs function because of the people who are there. And when you have a Jackie Berry that you can be running your program, (laughs) it's going to go well. Uh, Why, thank you. I I believe everybody in town would agree with that. Well, I don't know. I'm awake a lot at 2 in the morning trying to think about how we can help kids and families. So I guess it'll pay off. 
Well, good for you and thank you. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank my guests, Jackie Berry and Dan Rubenstein from the 21st Judicial District Attorney's Office for coming in and visiting about the Lighthouse Project. Thank you again for coming in. You're thank sure you for having thank us. Thank you. This has been Issues and Answers from Town Square Media. If you would like to suggest a topic for our weekly program, simply open our station app and hit the app chat feature to send us a note about an issue you would like to hear discussed on Issues and Answers. You can also reach us by phone by dialing 970-242-7788. I'm Carl Hughes. Join us next week for another round of Issues and Answers with Town Square Media.